Welcome to the newest edition of the Giant Settle Podcast. My name is John Schmelk. He's been a consistent guest for us the last few years. He is Warren Sharp. He's the author of Sharp's Football's 2022 Football Preview. And if you like numbers, if you like going inside the game, he's your guy. Go check out the book. Warren, how are you, man? It's good to see Damn. you. I'm doing great. Great to see you, too. Uh, I'm happy to talk to you under what I believe is better circumstances onward and upward for, you know, the Giants program. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to breaking down some of the expectations for this team in 2022 and beyond. Yeah, we've had Warren on before, and, and he's been critical. And by the way, if you look at the results, rightfully so, in terms of what the Giants' offensive approaches has been the last couple of years. But Warren, as you mentioned, and I know you're a big fan of Brian Dable, why are you so confident that his new approach will be able to help turn things around here? legitimately, well, we got two aspects to this, right? You've got the general manager change and you've got the coaching change. And both of those have changed for good reason. I think you've got upgrades in both uh, positions. In terms of Dayball himself, though, like I look back at what this team was trying to do with Jason Garrett and what this team was trying to do offensively. And it's easy to see. I, I knew it at the time, but it's, it should be easy for any fan to see currently just how flawed the entire process was like their objectives on offense did not jive and compute with what we know wins games in modern football. And, you know, we'll dig into, I'm sure some of the details of that, but just at a very top level, they were not, they did not have the right goals offensively to bring in success. And Brian Dayball has shown that, in Buffalo, he understands the right way to win games. He understands what win game, what wins games in modern football with the current rules construct. And I think that you guys are going to see that um, in terms of efficiency across the board. Yeah, Warren, no doubt about it. And we're going to dig into the offense for sure. Let's take one bigger picture perspective things first. How long do you think this rebuilding process is going to take, this retooling, so you can get Brian Dable, the roster, Joe Shane can make the moves he needs to make, so Dable can have the roster that can hopefully eventually compete for a Super Bowl? Look, it's not going to be easy, and it is going to take some time, and I hope that the Giants fan base is understanding of that. I mean, you guys, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, are pointed in a vastly different direction than what you were previously. You obviously right now are trying to figure out, do we even have a quarterback of the future? Do we have a running back that we want to keep? Because both of these players were premium players that the prior GM, Dave Gettleman, drafted inside the top 10, used a lot of draft commodity on these guys, and they're not even signed beyond this season. And so, you know, those two players alone are going to help drive the trajectory of this team moving forward in terms of, do you have a quarterback? Do you want to sign him? Or do you need to go after a quarterback in the draft? Uh, but even beyond those two key positions, this roster is in difficult shape. This roster is very tight. We talked earlier about the lack of cap space and this general manager has, you know, is trying to operate with one arm tied behind his back due to what the prior regime left him with. So it's going to take time. And by time, I mean probably more than two years for you guys to get into the right direction that I think you want to be in. But I have confidence in what I have seen and what I know about the staff that they currently have in place. I mean, obviously, everybody out there should know how highly I regard Brian Dayball, Mike Kafka, another guy who I think is absolutely incredible and is really going to get great things out of this quarterback position. 
um, ultimately when they realize and find who the quarterback is going to be. So, you know, just my, my advice is you're in the right direction. Deal with the process as it, as it unfolds here over the next couple of years, it, it's normal to want to see great football being played day one. It, it's normal for fans to have really high expectations and hold this coaching staff and this team to high standards, but you're in the right direction. Let's see how quickly they can get it there. But but I'm happy for the fans in New York because for the first time in a while, I think that you guys are are pointed in the right direction with the coaching staff and with the general manager. Now the key is, you know, what we know wins games in modern football. Do you have a quarterback? You need to find the quarterback, and that's what's going to be incumbent upon, you know, the general manager and the head coach is to evaluate and then go out there and get the right guy. Yeah, you know, Warren, and you're right. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't really have a direction in a lot of ways, right? You know, it, so much of the modern NFL is based around that. And, you know, John Maris said of this offseason, we've done everything we can to to screw this kid up when, when it comes to Daniel Jones. What have you seen from him that makes you think under better circumstances with Brian Dable, with Mike Kafka, improved offensive line maybe, maybe the weapons from last year are healthier on the outside, that he can show that maybe he can be the guy long-term? Because I know some of his metrics, like when he's in the pocket, not under pressure, those have been okay from year to year. So from your metrics, what are some of the things that make you think, yeah, under better circumstances, Daniel Jones could be the guy, or do you think it's more likely they'll be looking for a new quarterback next year? Well, I mean, th this right here digs down deep, John. I I'll just tell you, like, there's a lot to share on this particular topic. First and foremost, you've got a, a, a coach, a head coach and a play caller. Their primary job is to put a quarterback into good situations to see success. And we know that you're going to have more success when you're throwing the ball out of a clean pocket, as you alluded to, when you're not under pressure. And what the prior staff was doing too much of is – a lack of prioritizing of early down efficiency, which forced this team into far too many third downs. And when you're in third down, that is when you're predictable for the defense. That is when the defense knows based upon the distance, especially anything more than three yards, this is 100% a pass play coming up here. And so that changes the their philosophy ahead of time. Whereas on a first and 10, you could run, you could pass, you could do a variety of things. This is when we want to be emphasizing passing the football. Far too often, this prior regime couldn't care less about that. I believe that their goal was to just get down into third and manageable. Make this, don't, don't get too behind the sticks. Let's get down into third and manageable and we'll figure it out then and let's try to convert on third down. That's completely the wrong way to play football in 2022. It was the wrong way to play in 2020 and 2015 as well. The passing rules came into, into uh, play in the 2020, uh, 2010, 2011 seasons where they made a lot of changes on hit rules, on contact, on illegal contact, on what you could do to receivers uh, going over the middle, what you could do to quarterbacks. And we saw passing efficiency begin to increase uh, substantially at that point in time. And it's only continued that trajectory. But if you look at, you know, like some of the Giants, they ranked number 31 in third down avoidance the last two years. The Buffalo Bills, obviously, they have Josh Allen. They have a better uh, offense in place around Josh Allen as well. But the Buffalo Bills were the third best team at avoiding third downs. And to me, there is no way that you can just happenstance become over two year span the second worst team in the league at avoiding third downs. That to me is like 
you have a bad offense, but you also don't prioritize this element of the game. You don't prioritize avoiding it because you could have a bad offense and still finish 10th worst, 8th worst, 7th worst. But but where they were finishing shows that they had a lack of priority to avoiding third downs in general. And so, you know, it's a lot of that I think Dable and Kafka are going to do is emphasizing what Daniel Jones does well. I mean, I think a lot of Giants fans will be shocked to hear this, but uh, I want to say it's over since 2020. So over the last two years on passes thrown 25 plus yards downfield, Daniel Jones leads the NFL in EPA per pass attempt. He has been very successful pushing the ball down the field, but this coaching staff hasn't really emphasized that. And we'll talk momentarily, you know, in terms of some of the specific changes I think we're going to get here uh, about explosive plays and the importance of those. Um, I just think that the prior regime was not putting Daniel Jones into the most optimal situations. And the last thing I'll say on this topic, John, is that you look at a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes and a coach like Andy Reid, one of the best quarterbacks in terms of pure talent in the NFL, one of the best head coaches and play callers in the NFL has been that way for, for decades now. They make life easy on Patrick Mahomes. A lot of short passes underneath, prioritizing yards after the catch, trying to figure out a way to make life easier on a stud, soon to be probably you know, Hall of Fame quarterback, he's on that path to being so. Um, and that's for Patrick Mahomes. So don't we need to do even more of that for a quarterback like Daniel Jones, who we know has limitations, who we know struggles in certain situations, who we know is far from perfect. We need to prioritize that even more. And that's where I think Kafka and Dayball are really going to, um, you know, take advantage of that. And it's going to look so much different than what it looked like in the past, because the coaching staff wasn't doing enough of that. And this staff is really going to prioritize that still does not mean that Daniel Jones is going to be the QB of the future for the New York Giants. It just means that the version we're going to see in 2022, in my opinion, is going to look a lot better than the version that we saw before. Also, some of the things I've seen in preseason involve tucking the ball down and running with that football. Um, and we were not seeing that enough. We saw it at times with, the prior regime, but I think we're going to see that more under Dayball. You know, the most efficient offensive play in the NFL, John, of any type of play is when a quarterback drops back to pass and sees an open run lane and takes it. The average yards and the average EPA that these plays generate are better than the wow. average pass of any type of design quarterback run of any type. So, you know, a lot of times we see coaches try to tell their quarterbacks, look, we want you to Read the field. Don't take off. Don't, you know, go go through your progressions. But the reality is, if we're trying to win football games, you know, you want your quarterback to be patient in the pocket, be poised, go through his progressions. But if there's a run lane that opens up, on average, you're going to gain like nine to 10 yards on that run play. You need to take off and run with the football because that's better than the average passing play, even if it were to be completed. So um, I think we're going to see a lot more running of the football from Daniel Jones as well, which is going to keep that offense on the field more and going to keep them in better situations. And then, of course, that ultimately leads to we are now playing in the second half with a lead. If we were efficient enough on early downs and bypass third downs in the first half, we are going to score points. And when we are scoring points, we're going to have a lot better likelihood of leading games late. And when we're leading games late, then the playbook is completely open to us. We don't have to be playing in the third, fourth quarters with a deficit, being predictable offensively, throwing the ball on every down because the 
other defense knows that we're going to have to do that because we're trailing by double digits. When we are leading in the second half, a lot more can happen, and that makes life very difficult on that defense, and it's going to make the quarterback look even better. So, you know, all these different factors are going to play into why I think Daniel Jones is going to look better this season. Yeah, I want to get to your explosive play analysis, Warren, in the Giants chapter because I thought it was fantastic. But I want to dig in a little bit on the early down stuff because I have a never-ending debate with a lot of old-school Giant fans that, you know, 80s, 90s, you win a different way than you do now, and I've tried to kind of stress – how important it is to throw on early downs because that's when the other team is expecting you to run, right? You're going to see more base personnel. You run out maybe 12 personnel. They're in their base in, in a 4-3 or 3-4. You run play action. It's kind of a numbers game, right? So can you just talk about just the basics of why passing on early downs is more advantageous based on personnel, based on numbers, based on what the opponent is, is thinking about? And, and throw in the offensive line impact too, because you talked about game flow, right? When you're down in the second half, the other team knows you're passing. Well, they can then attack your offensive line in different ways. It looks worse. You're in third and long. They know you're passing. You can attack your offensive line in different ways. But on early downs, you can use other things like RPOs, like play action, and that might hide some of the weaknesses weaknesses in your pass protections. Can you kind of just bring all that together for Giant fans out to, to explain how passing on early downs really helps your quarterback and it makes your game more efficient? I, I think you've done a great job right there yourself. The bottom line here is that with the current rules in the NFL, offenses are massively favored over defenses. They have a head start. They have the advantage. The rules are written to allow scoring. Why do we think that that has occurred? Well, we know that Scoring points has led to more fan engagement with the game and fantasy football and, and betting and all these other factors are what is growing the overall you know revenue share of the league itself. More eyeballs on TVs are creating more dollars for the league to be able to play around with. Um, and you're going to get that when you're seeing exciting games. If you're seeing six to three type final scores frequently, you're not going to see that. So they changed the rules in 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 under the guise of player safety, we've seen them do this before, though, and then they just forget, oh, yeah, this lowering the helmet, that's going to be an emphasis here this year. And then we kind of have forgotten about that even a year, two years after the fact. Um, so they could have forgotten about some of these player safety things, but they haven't. And they, they, they haven't because it's emphasizing offense and quarterback success and efficiency and the quarterbacks are the stars and they sell jerseys and those types of things and, and receivers, etc. So. With the rules being favoring to the offenses so much, the only way that you can kind of give some chips back to the dealer, so to speak, or, or uh, create a less advantageous situation for yourself is by being predictable. If you are predictable on offense, that's when the defense, you know, the scales can sort of tilt in their favor a little bit more. If you have the ability to be unpredictable, then it's very difficult for defenses to keep up with you. When you are passing the ball on first down, you are less predictable than if you are in third and six, as you mentioned, and the defense knows that you're going to have to pass the ball. So it starts with just like the simple factor of like, what is the situation here down and distance? That's what the defense knows from a personnel perspective, who to put on the field. Uh, that's what they know what to expect from your offense. Um, when you can bring on personnel groupings, as you mentioned, that can be more multiple. You can bring in a little bit of a heavier grouping on an early down to really give that disguise of the run. We know that quarterbacks, a lot of them perform much better. Think of a guy like Baker Mayfield when he, when they are in 12 personnel or 21 personnel with two backs or two tight ends on the field. And the defense is now in a more of a base personnel grouping look 
and they've got more men in the box, this is when it's easier to throw the ball against these guys and increase that motion, helps the quarterback distinguish what the deep, what type of coverage is coming. And then you've got your play action, which is like your post snap motion after the fact. We want to be using a lot of motions. We want a lot of motion, either it's before the snap or after the snap. And we want varying personnel groupings and the ability to throw the ball on early downs. I mean, you, you can look at the numbers themselves. It's not hard. Go go to any website out there that tracks things and allows you to uh, dissect things by down. First down passes. They've had a higher completion rate every almost every year since 2010. And the yards per attempt have increased as well. These passes are easier to throw and coaches are designing offense now that favors teams that, that, that favors the quarterback and getting the ball out to receivers so that we are gaining six, seven yards on first down instead of three yards with running the football, three to four yards. And as a result, that's where I see a lot of teams this year that have been these hard-nosed run teams in the past with defensive-minded coaches. I'm thinking of like the Minnesota Vikings with Mike Zimmer uh, that have now switched to offensive-minded coaches. And I think these types of teams are going to flourish and see their offenses do a lot more this season because they're pa- they're going to pass the ball more on first down and second down. They're going to stay out of more third-down situations. They're going to score points earlier. And so the whole thing, the bottom line, the bottom line for your viewers is just how do we avoid being predictable? Whatever we can do to be efficient that will avoid predictability in the game, that's what we want to do. And so if you were like 100% pass on first down, you probably wouldn't want that. That's completely too predictable. You don't want to be 100% run on first down either. But we know that you want to avoid third downs because based upon that down and distance, you will give the defense too much information ahead of time as to what you're going to be doing. Hey, Giant fan, Giant season tickets are on sale now for 2022. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. Lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or Giants.com slash tickets for more information. We're joined by Warren Sharp. Check out his 2022 football preview from Sharp Football. Warren, your explosive play numbers were fantastic in this Giants chapter. I'm going to throw a couple basic ones to fans. For drives in the league last year, that did not have a play of 15 or more yards, 4%, 4.3 specifically, resulted in a t- t- touchdown. When drives that had exactly one play of 15 or more yards, just under 41% ended in a touchdown. And for drives that had two or more plays of 15-plus yards, 68% ended in a touchdown. You talked about the rules it has really put an emphasis on explosive plays. And if you don't get them, it's really hard to score now, isn't it? It, it really is. I mean, it's shocking whether you look at, and I, I did that analysis when drives began inside a team's own 30 yard line. So we're not cheating. We're not looking at, you know, drives that have, we're, we're, we're taken out from the analysis drives that started in really good field position, just drives that started inside your own 30. We know, touchback rules, a 25-yard line on kickoffs and 20-yard line after that on, on punts. And so we, we're factoring in mostly these types of drives where you're starting in standard field position. If you don't have an explosive play, if your offense can't generate explosive plays, it is very difficult. And the Kansas City Chiefs showed us that last year at some points early on in the yeah. season to dink and dunk and slowly matriculate the ball down the field, converting on some third downs along the way 
And why is that? Because you give the defense just so many opportunities. One one good play for the defense, one offensive holding, one sack taken. You know, if you if you have a sack, there's data out there that shows how less likely you are to score a touchdown or score points of any nature when just one sack is incurred on a drive. I mean, so having negative plays do happen. Sacks will happen when you're throwing the football. Offensive holding um, actually is a little bit more likely to occur when you're running the football. This is why passing is even more advantageous. But you still have instances, especially with the struggling line, like you mentioned, uh, that will have offensive holding plays. And that's why you want to avoid third downs, because there, you know, the defense is going to send guys most likely. And they're going to be able to cause confusion with some games up front that would force an offensive lineman to stick out their hand and grab or try to give their quarterback a little bit extra time. Why is that? Because he has to throw the ball further down the field because it's third and eight, whereas on a first down play, you could throw the ball shorter if you want to, and the offensive line won't have to pass protect for nearly as long. So, I mean, the, the explosive play analysis that I did, this was actually the, one of the first seasons that I ran this analysis, and it really was eye-opening even to myself in terms of how much just one explosive play, what that difference makes on a drive. And as a result, you know, it's a, it's a tightrope that you have to walk with, you know, desire to be very efficient on early downs to bypass third down with also the desire to take some risks and sprinkle yeah. some things in there so that you can go down the field. In both instances, we're not really talking about emphasizing running backs and running the ball a lot. We're trying to figure out a balance between how do we get by without having a third down on this series and how do we also have a percentage of time that we're going to try to go down the field and get an explosive game. Yeah, and it's funny, you really pinpointed 15-plus yards. You know, usually in the past, it's 20 or more plays of 20 or more, plays of 40 or more. Pro Football Focus has also been a 15-plus yard guy. With, with your analysis, why are the 15-yard plays more important to track than, say, 20-plus yard plays or 10-plus yard plays? 15-plus yard plays, to me, represent more of the desire to try to work the ball down the field. I don't feel like you need to go as far as 20, 30 plus yards. Those plays happen far less frequently. And I wanted to show that even a 15 yard play made a world of difference. And you didn't need, of course, if you're, you know, starting from the 30 yard line, let's say on a drive and you have a 30 yard gain, right? Like you're already in scoring position. It's going to be much easier, but even a 15 yard play still puts you on your own side of midfield that you still have to go a ways to score a touchdown on that drive. And so I wanted to try to find something that was short enough, um, but also something that's more than 10 yards, you know, first and 10, every single play, you, you're trying to gain a first down there. So I wanted to go a little bit longer than a 10 yard play. But I think in general that this is a great opportunity for the Giants. Again, we don't need, although Daniel Jones, number one in EPA on 25 plus yard pass plays, uh, all we're looking for is 15 plus yard plays here. And the the interesting element is that this isn't, a 15 plus yard completion down the field. Right. This is just any play that generates a gain of 15 plus yards. So it does incorporate an explosive run play. It could incorporate a Daniel Jones run, a Saquon Barkley run, any type of play that can gain 15 plus yards uh, that does count into this analysis. You know, Warren, then the last part that you mentioned in terms of focuses of areas of improvement for the Giants offense is red zone efficiency. Where do you think they can make some jumps there? Massive, uh, massive jumps in the red zone. And that's because they're one of the least efficient teams are going to pull up some of my numbers. But uh, 
total plays called inside the red zone, they were 31st in the league. So they weren't getting down into the red zone nearly enough. You know who was the best offense in the league in terms of total number of plays inside the red zone? Bills. Bills. Brian Dayball's team. So the Giants need to get down there more. They will when they're more efficient on early downs and when they're trying to hit explosive plays. So now we need to get them to capitalize. And why weren't they capitalizing last year? Well, first, let's look at some of the numbers. They were uh, 32nd in red zone EPA on their pass attempts. They were the league's worst team. And in fact, this number I thought was shocking. No team in the last four years had a lower completion percentage inside of the red zone than the Giants last wow. year. I mean, this team offensively from a passing perspective, no, their passes weren't efficient, but they weren't even completing them. They weren't even throwing the football efficiently. And I dug down a little bit deeper into like a weird phenomenon that I was seeing where they were throwing the ball deeper in the red zone than they were over most other areas of the field. Like they were trying to push the ball, have a higher air yards when they were inside the red zone than elsewhere on the field. And those were obviously, we want explosive plays, but when you're in the red zone, we want to score touchdowns. Those deeper passes are harder to complete, hence a lower completion percentage um, and a lower EPA per attempt. So I think that the philosophy that the Buffalo Bills are going to have, sorry, that the Giants are going to have, that some of the things that Dayball was using in Buffalo. And also, I mean, think of think of Andy Reid and how creative that red zone offense was with Patrick Mahomes um, when Mike Kafka was down there. And of course, Andy Reid's calling a lot of this stuff, but Mike Kafka is there, he's absorbing it. He's adding some input along the way as well. I mean, this, this red zone offense may be, substantially more creative in 2022 than I think Giants fans are even prepared to see. Uh, And hopefully it works out, right? Like hopefully some of the trick things and the sneaky things that they're trying to work on um, end up having success and end up being executed well, right? It's very different Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen doing these things than it might be for Daniel Jones. Uh, But I think they're going to have the right idea and the right mindset when they're inside of the red zone, calling better plays, putting their quarterback into more advantageous situations. And it's going to be nearly impossible to do any worse than what the Giants were last season. Thus, uh, you know, I think the the uh, trajectory is in the right direction with what this team is going to generate down inside of the red zone this year. You know, Warren, it's funny. I think one reason for Giant fans to be optimistic, you know, in addition to stuff you talked about, and I'm going to get to the defense in a second, but if you just look at the schedule, you know, last year the Giants actually had a really tough schedule. And then you you have a lot of great numbers I'll let you get into, but I'm just going to give it from a layman's perspective. You know, they play four straight games in the middle of the year against the Jaguars, Seahawks, Texans, and Lions. Three of those teams are picking in the top five in the draft, and the other one was picking in the top ten. So it's a much easier schedule here for the Giants on both sides of the ball, right? It is, for sure. Um, I look at two different ways to evaluate the schedule. I look at who are you playing, and I also look at how are you playing these teams? Like, when are you playing right. them in terms of rest? And the Giants have a advantageous situation, whether it's pure rest advantage or their prep time in terms of not having too many games uh, where their opponent has more time to prep or not having uh, too many situations where they're playing on short weeks and they don't have as much time to prep. So from a rest and prep perspective, the Giants are in a good situation, not the best in the league by far, but still above average situation. But then when we talk about who you are playing specifically, this is where it does get a little bit exciting because last season you guys played the number two most difficult schedule of opponents in the NFL. You played the number eight most difficult schedule of uh, defenses against the pass 
making life much more difficult on a quarterback in a bad offense to go out there and try to execute. This year, I predict that number eight most difficult will move down to number 29th most difficult. So now that's the fourth easiest schedule of pass defenses that Daniel Jones will face this year. It's going to make life much easier on him. The ability to read out these defenses that might struggle a lot more against the pass than he was facing last season should make him alone look a lot better as compared to what he was looking last year. And then you throw in the advantages that this offense is going to provide to him. Hopefully we get more health along the way as well. But the bottom line here is from a schedule perspective, the Giants are in a very good situation. And they have, if you look at overall most difficult schedule, I'll pull up my um, current ranking. What I do is I look at uh, opponent win uh, forecast for this season. A lot of people look at strength of schedule and say, what was this team? Uh, what Who do you play this year? And what was their win percentage last, last year? year? And you just do the math, add it up. And then you say, okay, we have the 18th most difficult schedule this season. But the reality is you want to be looking at Vegas projections for these teams this season, which are dynamic, set by the betting market, and they move and change and 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 based upon how the money's coming in. And that obviously is going to define the better picture as to who you're playing this year. And by that metric, at one point in this offseason, the Giants had the number one easiest schedule in the NFL. Right now it's down to number two easiest. But think about that. I said, what, three minutes ago? The Giants last year played the number two most difficult schedule in the league. This year I'm forecasting them, based upon the Vegas win totals, to play the number two easiest schedule in the league. So just overall team strength, moving from second hardest to second easiest, massive. From Daniel Jones's perspective, moving from the eighth most difficult to the fourth easiest, also massive. So it's good reason to feel optimism based upon the schedule. All right, let's talk about the defense uh, quick here, Warren, before we kind of go around the league, just real quick before we say goodbye. Um, Wing Martindale, you know, he runs a very unique defense. Uh, probably maybe, you know, Todd Bowles is similar in terms of pressure and man-to-man rates and stuff like that. So how does a, a system like Wing Martindale uh, affect the defense? Someone put it to me uh, really well. I was talking to a data scientist over at, at PFF, and they said, the way that the Wink plays defense is exacerbates the difference in talent, right? So if you're really good and you play that type of style, you're going to dominate. But if your talent's not as good, you play that type of style. Sometimes you can have some issues. Look at the Ravens versus Joe Burrow last year when all their corners were hurt, right? It got really ugly. So when you look at your numbers and you do your analysis, how does running that type of defensive system maybe impact what Giant fans are going to see this year with with uh, Wink Martindale? Yeah, it, it definitely – Wink – Already we've seen it in the preseason. We pulled up the numbers from week one. I mean, the blitz rate is incredible. It was 50% uh, in the first preseason game. It was crazy. Yeah. It, it, it's it's absurd how often he wants to send extra rushers to try to confuse the quarterback. I think you used the term discombobulate them um, on the other side of the ball. It's one of the reasons, though, that this team for years, obviously when he was in uh, Baltimore, struggled against Patrick Mahomes because it became too predictable. And when a good quarterback, a, a quarterback who is very good to begin with and is also very good against the blitz, mm. goes up against you and he knows that you're going to be blitzing a ton, 
that's obviously very problematic for defense. And it's one of the reasons why if like Lamar Jackson wanted to try to beat, why can't Lamar beat the Chiefs for several years? Well, because the Chiefs are scoring 35 points every single game. So, I mean, yes, Lamar can is capable of scoring more than 35 points, but it's not an easy task when your defense is giving up so much. Um, when I look at the numbers from last year, out of 42 quarterbacks in the league, EPA per pass attempt, Dak Prescott ranked 14th against the Blitz. Jalen Hurts ranked 18th against the Blitz. And Carson Wentz ranked 21st against the Blitz. Um, think about last year, just to put this in perspective, Joe Burrow. When the Ravens played Joe Burrow, you know, Joe Burrow was torching this team last season. Like the, the, the scores weren't close. And a lot of that was because he was performing really well against the Blitz. Joe Burrow is one of the best quarterbacks in the league against the Blitz. These other three quarterbacks that I mentioned, aren't top 10, but they're also not bottom 10 either. Out of 42 quarterbacks, yeah, yeah. Carson Wentz was 21st. So it is going to be challenging playing this style of defense if you can't actually get to the quarterback. Um, sending these extra rushers for offenses that are able to protect long enough and diagnose the defense, that could be problematic. Now, it's good that Carson Wentz stinks when he is discombobulated. He's one of the worst in the NFL. His sack plus his, – his, rate of sacks and interceptions when he's pressured is one of the highest in the NFL. So again, it's the difference between sending blitzers and actually getting pressure. But if you're able to get pressure on Carson Wentz, you know, he may struggle there. Uh, Jalen Hurts, you're going to have to worry about his legs and getting outside the pocket. And the same thing with Dak Prescott. So it's going to be a challenge. I mean, I personally kind of wish that your prior defense coordinator would have stuck around that. Like I was kind of rooting for that um, in terms of like, who do I think would be the best staff to have with the New York Giants? Um, because well, I like tried. Some, <laughs> I know you tried. And I like some of the things that he was doing. So I wish that it worked out. Um, I, I just don't love the predictability from Wink. But if he is able to be a little bit less predictable, then I think, you know, we're just going to have to get the personnel there. And that's one of the things we talked about at the very beginning of this is uh, we're working with a lot of the groceries that somebody else bought for this team. And uh, we're going to, it's going to take some time for the general manager and the head coach to be able to go out and get the types of players that they want to fit the style of offense and defense that they're looking to build from an on-field product. Um, the one thing I will say is this, if you are playing with a lead, then we know that that other team is going to have to throw the ball a lot, which makes it a lot easier to be able to send pressure and to do some things to confuse them because you know at a higher rate, okay, this this type of play is coming. They're probably going to have to throw you know, this target depth because they're in this yards to go. Um, if you're playing at a deficit, all of a sudden sending blitzes all the time is not really going to be the most ideal situation. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he's able to do uh, from a play calling perspective, if this offense isn't playing with a lead like it was in Baltimore for so many years when Lamar Jackson was running the show and this team, you know, was constantly producing double digit win seasons and making the postseason, uh, the Giants may not be in that situation for 2022. And it's going to make it like make life more difficult on Wink's defense 
to try to figure out when to dial up these blitzes. You know what? I think the talent does match up in some spots, right? You have Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence who are good defensive tackles against the run. They can get the pressure on the quarterback too. You mentioned, I know in your Giants chapter that Dexter Lawrence kind of broke out a little bit last year. Even without the sack numbers, he was much better rushing the passer. You have two young edge guys in, in Thibodeau and Ozilari, uh, two smart safeties in Julian Love and Xavier McKinney. But it's the corners, right? Because you're going to have to cover man-to-man. You were pretty happy with what Adoree Jackson did last year. Darnay Holmes, you're happy with his production. And then the third corner is kind of a question. So how do you see, and, and Aaron Robinson right now has been the starter, didn't have a lot of you know playtime last year to get a real feel for him. How do you feel about how that talent matches up with what Wink's trying to do, especially in the back end, where he really puts a lot of pressure on his guys having to play a lot of that man-to-man and a lot of zero coverage? Yeah, it's going to be, it's definitely going to be a challenge. Um, the good news is defenses are far less, um, uh, they don't stand on their own nearly as much as people think. They very much so are an even bigger product of who you play. Right. And last year, you played the eighth most difficult schedule of opposing offenses, including the sixth most difficult schedule of opposing pass offenses. This year, my projection is that you're going to play the 10th easiest schedule of opposing offenses and the uh, eighth easiest schedule of opposing pass offenses. That alone is going to make a world of difference in terms of how your defense looks. But in terms of wink and a system fitting the personnel, you're right. I mean, that was one of the emphasis of, of uh, Baltimore was on these corners and having strong corners out there. And we saw how much of a factor it was, you know, when their number one corner would go out, he was frequently injured. And when he went out for the season or, you know, for several weeks at a time, I mean, defensive offenses were scoring points on that defense. So you don't have the level of talent. You don't have the level of skill at the DB position. Um, and we know how hand in hand coverage and pass rush works. Um, and the emphasis of coverage has become uh, more of a factor in terms of what actually drives solid output. But the pass rush is what you guys are going to have to lean on, in my opinion here, because you don't have that corner play as strong as what Wink was accustomed to when he was in Baltimore. Don't miss it on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience, watching Giant games, world-class concerts as a Giant Suite partner. Giants.com slash suites or 888-NYG-1925 for full-season locations, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Warren, you mentioned the division in your last answer, the three quarterbacks, Wentz, Prescott, and uh, Jalen Hurts. The way we've been kind of talking about it here with the division, we think the Eagles probably have the best roster in the division, but the Cowboys have the best quarterback, and they're not probably too far below in terms of roster strength. How do you see the NFC East playing out this year? I took some flyers on the Eagles to have some success in this division. I think that they've got a really good shot at unseating the Dallas Cowboys here. Um, so much of what Dallas was able to do last season was on the shoulders of a defense that yeah. set – Records. I mean, we hadn't seen the number of takeaways for Dallas, uh, their their takeaways in 34 years. They had 34 takeaways last year. They hadn't produced that many takeaways until 34 years prior to that, back in the 80s. I mean, this team really produced historic numbers for themselves on the takeaway margin. And when you look at the EPA, the expected points added that they generated on these takeaways was like the highest that the NFL has seen in close to a decade. And so these types of things do tend to regress. Um, and if that defense isn't getting those takeaways quite frequently last year, they were getting burned. So they were a high risk, high reward type defense uh, that was getting some of these and taking them to the house. But if that wasn't happening, they were struggling, especially in their secondary. Um, and I look at a team in the Cowboys that 
slightly weaker along the offensive line, yep. definitely weaker at the receiver position and not as deep. They're going to need some of those guys to step up. And then they're relying a lot on Ezekiel Elliott still. And we know that their other running back is substantially more efficient when we talk about Pollard. So I believe that the Dallas Cowboys do take a slight step back. But the one, the biggest problem for the Eagles this season is going to be that head-to-head, they have not fared very well against the Dallas Cowboys. So the Eagles are going to have to steal some of those games head-to-head to be in a position to win the division. But I think the rest of their schedule lines up really well to put the Eagles in a great position to win that division. It wouldn't surprise me if these two teams finished within a game of each other in the division. And if the Eagles can do better head-to-head, they will obviously win that division. Um, and, and I think that from top to bottom, the Eagles roster, as you alluded to, the most talented in this division. So I think the Eagles ultimately are going to come out on top here. Warren, have you figured out a rhyme or reason to turnovers and being able to predict what teams are going to be where in any given year? Or is that just, just a really random thing you'd hear that has a lot more to do with luck than it has to do with scheme and practice and all that other stuff? Well, it's extremely random, number one, for starters. If if I could figure out ahead of time who's going to have more turnovers in a game, you know, I, I we, we wouldn't be having this podcast right now. Both of us would be, you know, filthy rich right now because <laughs> no no factor is more uh, determined to what who wins a game than turnover margin. 80% of the time that you win the turnover margin, you're going to win the game. And so, you know, that that's just a big factor. But the other element here, of course, it, it all gets back to there's it's a very complicated game and so much moves on every single play but the reality is it's also very simple and 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 that is being efficient getting a lead helps everything around you and the teams that are going to be able to get more takeaways generally speaking are the teams that are forcing their opposing offense into pass plays on obvious mm-hmm. passing situations. And so you saw a team like the Cowboys with their double-digit wins last season. The opposing teams were dropping back to throw the football into predictable pass situations. So you would have pressure from the pass rush You would because they knew that the team was going to be passing the ball. And then you have coverage guys who know that a pass is coming and they can sit on some of these things. That's what helps defenses get takeaways, sack fumbles, as well as interceptions. And so um, it's it all comes down to how are we going to figure out how to build a lead? The longer we hold a lead, the more likely this other offense is going to fall into that category of being very predictable. Who's your team that you think everyone's overrating this year? And who's your team you think everyone's underrating this year? Well, um, that's a good question. I think overrating I actually like the under on the Dallas Cowboys. I went under 10 and a half wins for the Dallas Cowboys. I think that they're going to fall back. I also have massive concerns about the New England Patriots and their offense in general. And so I took the Patriots to miss the playoffs this year um, as another wager, because I think that the Patriots are definitely going to um, struggle. So those are two teams that uh, more so the Dallas Cowboys um, I like talking about teams I think are going to fail to meet expectations more than I like to talk about teams I think are going to overachieve just because there's more value in the marketplace there. Another team that I was on early that those numbers aren't there any longer, which is why I'm saving them for the end. But this is the strongest team I was kind of fading. And that was the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, the Arizona Cardinals, I should, this number is ludicrous, John, but on third and seven plus yards to go, when this team was passing the football they converted first downs 52 percent of the time last season the oh highest gosh. any team has ever done in nfl history that is not going to happen again this season the prior year they were down at like 22 percent. the nfl averages at like 
30%, 28%, somewhere in that range. They were at 52%, like setting records. They're going to struggle more on those situations. I think they're going to struggle more on short yardage situations because they were converting these things at a way above average rate. They're dealing with the absence of DeAndre Hopkins over those first six weeks when this team usually is racking up wins because later on in the season, that's when opposing teams generally figure out what they're doing and catch up to them. You also have Kyler Murray, who, though he doesn't miss many games due to injury, always seems to get banged up and plays through injury. And anytime he's dealing with like a lower uh, leg injury, whether it's like a hamstring or a calf or something with his foot, like he's just not the same. He has to be because of his size so much more mobile than most other quarterbacks and the ability to move around back there and then scramble. And when he is limited in any way, that takes a big uh, chunk of efficiency out of this passing attack. And I also have concerns about their defense. So this was a team I was really down on. The markets were very bullish on the Arizona Cardinals this offseason because of the rest of that NFC West. You look at like the Seattle Seahawks, they're definitely going to be taking a step back. Are the Rams going to be quite as good this year? Maybe not quite as good this season. Um, and then you look at the 49ers making that transition away from Jimmy G. How efficient is Trey Lance actually going to be? Um, and so by by de facto, you know, the Arizona Cardinals were getting moved up there. And I just think the Cardinals, they're a good team. I'm not expecting them to win only like five, six games. But I just felt like they may not hit that double-digit win total. Um, in terms of one team that I think might exceed expectations this year, uh, it's the Minnesota Vikings. I sort of already alluded to the fact that they're getting rid of Mike Zimmer in his place as a much more offensive minded head coach. He's going to be calling plays. He's going to be directing this offense, using a lot more early down passing, which I think is definitely going to benefit this team as well. Um, and I think, you know, Mike Zimmer approached things defensively with the mindset of, how do I make my defense look good? That's the side of the ball that I'm responsible for. How do I make them look good? I want them well-rested throughout the game. Let's run the ball. Let's control the clock. You know, let's do a lot of these things that keeps my defense rested on the sidelines. The reality, though, is the way that the defense is going to look their best, look no further than a team like the Dallas Cowboys or historically the New England Patriots. It's when they're playing with these leads in the second half and then they can pin their ears back and do all types of crazy things and get pressure and create turnovers and return touchdowns. And so you're not going to be able to play in those situations when the game is close and your opponent doesn't need to air it out in the second half. Um, that's why getting a lead quickly in the first half becomes so much more the priority. And I think Minnesota is going to be on their way to being able to do that, which is why even though Mike Zimmer's gone, this defense might look better because they're being put into more advantageous situations. All right. Two more quickies. Warren AFC West is fascinating to me. How do you see that thing? You know, is one of those teams going to, you know, end up being bad. Are they all going to be between like seven and 10 wins? How do you see that AFC West playing out? Because that is an arms race. And those teams, I think, could probably win six of the eight divisions in the league if they were spread out. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that any team's going to be really bad. I think the Raiders definitely will struggle. I like what I've seen in the preseason. I will say that it's exceeded my expectations a little bit, but um, I, I think their offensive line isn't going to be quite good enough to do what they need to do through the air. They've got a star-studded cast of receivers there, but I have questions on defense. I have questions on um, the offensive line there. I, I think that ultimately that the Kansas City Chiefs, although everybody's fading them and saying, well, this team's going to take a step back. It's not their time. And I, I don't want to sell Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid at all. But I will say that 
I think a team that is in the best situation from a personnel perspective to make the AFC championship and come out of the AFC West is the LA Chargers. The only two things that are going to hold them back, injuries and offensive play calling, in my opinion. Um, I have concerns about the way that they call plays for a quarterback like Justin Herbert, who can throw the ball all over the field. Let's use that talent. Let's not use this short dot, which is what Joe Lombardi was doing last season with him. Um, and if they air it out and let Justin Herbert cook, so to speak, I think that this offense is going to do enough and this roster is talented enough. But there are still question marks with them, um, you know, defensively, special teams wise, etc. So I, I think that they're going to come out of this thing, um, but I'm not writing off the Kansas City Chiefs. And of course, a team that I didn't even talk about, the Denver Broncos. Um, I am really big on Cortland Sutton this year. So from like a fantasy perspective or a props perspective, I'm absolutely in love with Cortland Sutton this season. But um, I think Russ is absolutely going to make a massive difference. If you look at, I tweeted out a graphic the other day of quarterback efficiency on deep balls. It was similar to the one that I was tweeting out about Daniel Jones, about how great he was throwing the football down the field when he actually was allowed to do so. And, you know, we were talking about two of the worst quarterbacks in the league, specifically Drew Locke throwing the ball down the field. And now they got Russell Wilson, who was one of the best. I mean, you're going massive night and day, and now he's playing at elevation there in Denver. I can't wait to see what that offense is able to cook up. But I think their defense takes a little bit of a step back. Yeah, obviously not having, not having Vic Fangio, one of the best defensive minds in, in the legal heart. All right, give me your Super Bowl prediction. This is Aaron about a week before the season starts. Warren, have some fun here. I'm not holding you to it. Who's in the Super Bowl? Who wins it? I, I've taken a few of these uh, long shot, super long shot matchups. And I think in the AFC, I'm putting most of my chips on the LA Chargers. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do have some outside shots on the Baltimore Ravens. And then in the NFC, this is where I'm willing to take more long shots because I think the Bucks take a slight step back. I don't want to be backing the Green Bay Packers, although I'm not fading them. I just don't want to be on them. So in the NFC, that's where I'm willing to take a few more risks. I was looking at the Minnesota Vikings as a team, potentially the San Francisco 49ers as a team um, that could exceed some expectations on some really long shot things. But if I have to pick one champ, I'm sticking with the LA Chargers. I think it is going to come from a team from the AFC this season. Yeah. And I, I think the Chargers are going to emerge victorious. All right, Warren, tell the folks where they can find your book. Head over to sharpfootballanalysis.com. You know, don't be don't be too uh, intimidated by 564 pages. There's chapters on every single team inside that book, and it's really going to teach you a lot, not only about the Giants and what to expect this season, but also what to expect about all the other 31 teams in terms of predictions for this year, understanding why the teams didn't meet their goals from last season and what I think they're going to do this year. Yeah, a lot of colorful charts, guys. Like you can see it. It's color coded numbers, a lot of text. I mean, there's a lot of easy ways to digest this information. Warren does a fantastic job. And he's always kind enough to join us every year. Warren, thank you so much. Enjoy the season. We'll talk to you down the road. Best of luck. Thanks for having me, John. Good luck to the Giants this year.